0: Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, it's the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. It is good to be back. I've been on sabbatical for a couple of months, as you know, taking some time off from work. Whew, and what a couple of months that it was! I hope you're doing as well as possible that you were able to find at least a little bit of peace and joy and ease in your life over the last couple of months. For me, part of why I took the time off was to really create the vision for the next iteration of this podcast and my business as a whole. I could sense earlier this year that it was time to make some changes, but I just couldn't really completely articulate what that was going to look like. And sometimes stepping away from the thing, right? Taking rest, taking a break, putting it down for a while is exactly what we need in order to make some changes. And that is what I'm here to talk to you about today. So in this episode that you're about to hear, I'm joined by my dear friend Julia Hanlon, host of the Running on Ohm podcast. You probably know her already either from her earlier appearances on this show or the reoccurring monthly series that we do together um, in my Patreon community. So lots of folks know who she is. If not, she'll introduce herself a little bit once we get started. But she is here to interview me about some of these big upcoming changes that are going to be happening. So this conversation, it's really just a transparent deep dive into how the show will be evolving over the next few months, why I decided to move to a sliding scale funding model for my Patreon. We go into quite a bit of detail about that. We talk about money. We also talk about why I created a brand new online home for my writing, where I'm sharing kind of personal essays and stories, that kind of thing. It's really a significant pivot point in my work, something that I'm feeling really excited about, to be honest, and I'm grateful to have the opportunity to take you behind the scenes of each of these decisions. I always find myself really curious about the process of making change, uh, whether it's a personal change or professional change, when someone announces that, they're making a change. I always want to know, okay, but how did you arrive at that place? And you know, what went into it and all of that. So this is really my attempt to honor that in my own work. And I'm super grateful to Julia for guiding this conversation. And I hope that it gives you some honest insight into at least one woman's process, my process for making changes in life and business. I've talked about this a bunch of times, but one of my most cherished beliefs is that change is possible. And the more we give ourselves and each other permission to change, the better, I think. So I hope you enjoy listening to this. And I can't wait to hear what you think of all that is coming next for the Real Talk Radio podcast and community. All right, my dear, sweet Julia, we are recording. Welcome back to the show.
1: Amazing. Grateful to be here on the show and to just get to dive deep together as we always like to do. As we
0: always like to do. So, most folks listening, I'm just I'm going to guess that they already know who you are either from your past, you know, appearances on the show or from the series that you and I do monthly for the Patreon community, our monthly reflections where we kind of dig deep and go behind the scenes of our own lives in terms of kind of like a monthly review, what went well, what was challenging, you know, what we're excited about for the month ahead, lessons learned, goals, that type of stuff. So a lot of folks already know who you are. But for anyone who doesn't, I would love to ask you a couple of, I don't know, like set the scene type of questions. So how do you feel about that?
1: I would be honored and then I'm excited to turn the tables and focus on you. <laughs>
0: yeah. Being interviewed on one's own podcast is like a strange thing and there's no one else that I would want to do it uh, except you. So let's, yeah, let's set the scene a little bit. Uh, actually set the scene. That's my first question. Where are you sitting? Where in the world are you? what What would you like to share about that?
1: Sure. So I am sitting in my apartment in Cambridge, Massachusetts, And I'm sitting in my office. And the fun thing about my office is it it also is the gear room. So it also has like all the backpacks and sports gear. And it's also the room that I like to do like my yoga and meditation in. So this room has a lot of good memories in it and also lots of like productive time in this room. So that's where I am. And I can look out and see my neighbor's three family house. And I don't know these neighbors, but. I'm sure listeners have the experience of feeling like they know people just from like watching them from the window, which sounds creepy, but that's actually like what I'm looking out on is my neighbor's three family house.
0: I love it. Yeah. The, the experience of like making up what you think the lives are, right. Of the people around you. I, I have had that experience, particularly, uh, you know, living in really big cities and, you know, growing up in New York and stuff and uh, the apartment that um, I lived in when I was a kid, we lived on the 26th floor of a 35 story building. And it was one of four 30, like of those size buildings, like in the complex, there were a ton of people that lived there. And, you know, so you're kind of all on top of each other and you see, you know, the person, the same person in the elevator all the time. And I always used to think like, you know, what is their life like? What do they do? And you can make up little stories about it. So yes, totally get it.
1: Yeah. Can we set the scene with you? Is this like, is this a back and forth? Can I like know where you are physically recording this podcast right now?
0: Sure. Um, I am also in Massachusetts. I am newly here. I spent the summer living full time in my van in Bend, Oregon, which was lovely and challenging. Um. As anyone who has lived full-time in a vehicle will know, there are some great parts and then there are some really challenging parts, particularly during a pandemic. And so I am out here um, on the East Coast for the fall to stay safe from the wildfires and everything in Oregon. Um, I'm living right now with my partner and his dad. So I am sitting in my bedroom in their house. It's lovely that they have the extra space. that I have my own little room and it's this beautiful older house is built in like the mid 1800s. And so it just has this like very charming feel that no space that I have ever lived in has felt. Um, my partner is a fifth generation to live in this house. And that's completely different from, you know, I don't really know my family history that much. We did the math the other day. Um, If you count places anywhere that I have lived for like three months or more that I've lived in 25 different places. So I have moved around a lot. And so I am excited to be sort of grounded down in someone else's family home. feels really lovely.
1: Wow. That is a lot of places hmm. So the other
0: two kind of set the scene type questions that I was going to ask you are one, what are you totally obsessed with right now? My favorite question. And then just a little overview on what you do for
1: work. Sure. What am I totally obsessed with? Well, um, my dog, <laughs> I got my, my dog is almost two years old and we got him when he was eight weeks old. And he has just, he's the light of my life. Like he's not in this room right now, but I've noticed throughout our, you know, five minutes of talking this far, I've, I've already thought about him like 20 times. I'm like, I wonder what he's doing. (laughs) I wonder which room he's sleeping in. Like, I'm totally obsessed with my dog. Um, Absolutely. It's kind of a problem. And what do I do or how do I spend my time? Is that the question you ask?
0: Yeah, sure. What do you, I guess if someone asks like, what do you do for work, for fun, how do you like to answer that question?
1: Yeah. So I, right now I'm in graduate school and I'm getting my master's in clinical mental health counseling. So with the goal of becoming a therapist, a talk therapist. And then I also have been teaching yoga for the past 10 years and I teach private clients, primarily. I work one-on-one with people right now and do more like yoga therapy. And I also have a podcast and my podcast is called Running on OM. And I have long form style conversations with women who are in endurance sports and in the outdoors. And what else do I do? Um, Yeah, I... I'd say the thing that's most meaningful to me in my life is my relationships, you know, getting to show up for friends and family and um, building relationships and building community through relationships and deepening those. And so getting to have been a friend of yours for many years and getting to watch how you've created your community is really, really inspiring to me. So I'm excited to talk about the next evolution of it.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, as the people in the patreon community know, and everyone else will know you know by the end of this conversation, I'm making some pretty big changes uh, with my work and in my business right now, and it was really important to me to mark that change somehow. I think that you know recognition and reflection and celebration are all really important and as someone who's made a lot of changes, knowing that this change was coming, there's no one else that I would want to have this conversation with, so I am very delighted and grateful that you agreed to interview me and to dig into some of this stuff.
1: Yeah. So let's first just start with like, what is the change? We're going to go into the nitty gritty. We're going to talk about like the evolution and the why behind it and how you're doing it. But how do you explain right now? Like what is the, the, maybe the thesis statement for the big changes you're creating right now?
0: Yeah. So high level, I think, um, it's three main things. The first thing is that I'm refocusing the podcast, which we will talk about. And then I have also changed the funding model on Patreon. And then I have also changed where and how I am sharing my writing. And I guess sort of a sub thing under maybe number two, like, you know, changing the funding model on Patreon and then also changing what we're doing within the Patreon community. So (laughs) I guess the things that aren't changing are that I'm still podcasting and still writing, (laughs) but the, the sort of how the container of a lot of the stuff is, is changing. And as someone who has made a lot of personal and professional changes over the years, and because of the nature of, you know, sharing my life online in some capacity since 2007. Pretty much all of those changes, or a lot of them anyway, have been public. It's interesting interesting to every time you make a change or iterate to what did you learn from the process? What do you want to do differently this time? How do you want to share it? How do you want to talk about it? A through line of not just my work, but my beliefs in general are that like it's really important to give ourselves and each other permission to change. I think that it's really uh, easy to get stuck in a trap of thinking that just because you've been doing something a certain way, you know, for months or years or decades, then that means that you have to keep doing it that way. And that's just not true. And I've never believed that that's true. And sometimes the changes we need to make are the You know, really burn it all down, start over changes. And when that's really what's necessary, that can be incredibly freeing and scary. But then there are other types of changes as well. And these are changes that I have come to less naturally and slower. Maybe it's a product of getting older that I'm able to make smaller changes, right? Where, hang on, the whole thing doesn't need to be burned down, but I would like to do things 5% differently or 20% differently. And that's a lot of the changes that we're going to be talking about today came, I took a two-month sabbatical this summer where I took two months off work, which I know that we're going to talk about as well. And a lot of the reflection that I was doing during that time was around, I know that some things are working and I know that some things aren't when it comes to my business. And really trying to untangle, you know, this thing feels good, but this aspect of it doesn't, I find to be a lot more challenging and requires like a much deeper level of honesty with myself. It's easy to just be like, this is this doesn't feel good, you know, the whole thing's not working goodbye and to to be drastic about it like that and it's been a really interesting exercise in deciding hang on i don't want to do that this time there's stuff here that really is working but there's stuff that isn't how can i preserve what i love while making changes and you know like shedding what's not working
1: that's powerful and during the two months do you feel like there was ever a turning point when These, like the three things that you're saying are shifting for you, like when those three things came together, or did it happen slowly?
0: Both, I think, right? It's like whatever that quote about falling asleep that happens like slowly and all at once. I think so. Let me back up. I decided to take two months off work because I was incredibly burned out when I actually sat and reflected on my career, and I have been you self-employed in some capacity for about 10 years. And prior to that was working, you know, really non-traditional, you know, seasonal jobs. I was the director of a day camp, you know, so I would do that for part of the year. And then I would work retail and, you know, kind of patch together a bunch of different things. And I realized earlier this year that I haven't taken more than a couple of days completely off work in Pretty much 15 years. Even when, you know, in the past I have gone, you know, on long distance hikes, hiking part of the PCT, hiking the Arizona Trail, even that I was working at least a little bit from every trail town, whether it was things within the Patreon community or, you know, publishing bonus episodes where it wasn't a large quantity of time. But as anyone, now I was going to say anyone who works for themselves, but I think you don't have to be self employed to understand that feeling of polluted time where. Maybe you're not really working a ton, but you're not totally off. And so the mental stress of the work, right? And you're still like holding space for it, even if you're not, you know, working 40 hours a week or whatever. And so once I really like actually did did the math, so to speak, of I haven't taken an actual break off my entire working career, you know, I've never worked a job that has given me paid time off, that has given me, you know, paid sick time or any of that. and. So, I just sort of never took it. I never really did it. And that caught up with me. And I was just feeling really burned out. I was feeling not excited, you know, creatively at all. And all of the reasons that I had started working for myself to begin with, you know, the flexibility of time and being able to make the things that I wanted to make, all of those benefits weren't feeling like benefits anymore because I was really depleted. And then all of the other things that I was willing to sacrifice. In order to have those things, right, like a less less predictable income, you know, not having access to really good health insurance. I was just looking at all these things. I'm like, why am I doing this? And I thought, you know what, I need to take some time off. And originally I had planned to go on a couple of longer hikes this summer and I was going to take time off and go backpacking. And then obviously, you know, COVID happened and everything. So I decided, hey, I'm not going to go on these hikes. You know, traveling is not the safe choice to do, but I am still going to take the time off. And so at the beginning. All I knew was that I needed to take a break even if nothing came from it. My big fear at the beginning of the sabbatical was that I wouldn't like do sabbatical, right? (laughs) Like a very type A thing to say. But I, you know, it was a lot of the internal dialogue of, you have this gift of time off and it's, oh my God, this like incredible privilege, which is absolutely true. You have to make sure that you use this time well and that something comes out of it and that you have the most fun possible and that you're incredibly well rested and that all of the, you know, next iterations of your business become clear. And the first, I spent the first two weeks of time off being incredibly stressed because, you know, there's nothing less relaxing than like telling yourself that you need to relax and have a good time. (laughs) So, um, yeah. At the beginning, I, I didn't really have clear goals for taking time off other than that, I just had to take the time off. It's something that I wound up, I went back into therapy, you know, early in the summer my anxiety was, was quite bad. And so I needed a, a therapy care episode. And one of the things we talked through was really me getting myself to believe that it was worth taking the break, even if nothing like productive came from it. So, I'm sort of losing the, the thread of what your original question was, but I think it was about you know if these changes be you know when they, when they sort of dropped into my mind. So uh, it was gradually in that. At first, it was really just like unwinding my brain, right? Like disengaging from work, not being productive, sitting with how it felt to not be producing anything of value, right? And or anything that's you know seen to be of value because it's you know in exchange for money or something like that, and. You know, I did a whole bunch of journaling and long conversations with, you know, a couple of really trusted, beloved people in my life. And a lot of those conversations were just me being like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what comes next. And eventually I realized that it wasn't true that I didn't know what I wanted to do next. What was true was that I knew what I wanted to do, but I was afraid to do it. And that I think was the turning point for me because I think it's really, it is safer to tell ourselves that we don't know, right? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I need. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes we, you know, we don't have confidence because we don't have clarity, but more often than not for me, I do know I just either don't like what's true or I'm afraid of it.
1: And what were you afraid of? I think that I,
0: because I started this business part time, right? I started this this particular iteration of, you know, the business started the podcast in 2015. You know, I was married at the time. Um, you know, my my former spouse earned a lot more money than me, and so I was able to start this project slowly the way that I wanted to because it didn't have to earn, you know, a significant amount of money right away. And that was an unbelievable privilege. And, you know, something that I talked about quite openly at the beginning that, you know, when you're starting a new project or a new business, money has to come from somewhere, right? Like it's coming from your savings. It's coming from your credit card. It's coming from friends or family or your salary, the from your day job, right? There's not that many places that the money has to come from somewhere. And so at the beginning, this was part-time, right? And it grew and it grew and it grew, but it was part-time and then I got divorced and then all of a sudden it had to be full-time. And I think that I had so much fear and financial scarcity and mindset in 2019 of, you know, go, 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 don't make any changes because, you know, if this is, it's working just enough, right? I was making just enough money that I could get by. And I think that that's a really- I've, ta- you know, I've talked to you know other creatives, other business owners. It can be a really relatable and a really scary place of if things are working just enough, I don't wanna rock the boat because what if I lose money or I lose support or I lose you know, any of the things that we need? When you just kind of just clear the hurdle of what your needs are being met, it can be really frightening to make any changes or at least it was for me. I, I guess I shouldn't speak universally. For me, I felt afraid that making any changes of the changes that I wanted to make, both in terms of the work itself and then also the funding model of the work, that changing one or both of those things were going to mean that people Left, right? They didn't enjoy the work anymore, or they didn't want to support it anymore. And also, I'm, you know, very aware of the fact that this has financially been an incredibly challenging year for a lot of folks, right? Like a lot of people who either lost their jobs, or have had cutbacks in their expenses, or I mean, cutbacks in their income, or you know, raising expenses, or they don't have health insurance anymore. It's been a really hard year, and so it felt like, is this really the best time to make any sort of big changes? And so I think most of my fear was around, I'm going to make these changes, and you know. It's the if-then, right? Like, if I make these changes, then I'm not going to be able to like pay my bills. Basically, I think most of the fear came down to that.
1: That's so real. I mean, the financial fear is so so real.
0: Yeah, it it, it is. And I think, I mean, you know, I love talking about money. It's you know something we've talked about plenty on the podcast in, in previous episodes, and you know within the Patreon community too. And I just think more normalization around just talking about this stuff. You know, it's scary to make a change for lots of different reasons, but when there's very real financial impacts of it, um, you know, like risks are called risks for a reason because you have something to lose.
1: Yes. So for the podcast specifically, um, tell me a bit about how you're planning to transition it and the why behind making that transition to its next iteration.
0: Yeah. So this is... I was going to say it's a funny story. It's maybe not funny, but I feel like that so so often we start things with like, this is interesting, this is funny, when actually the person who's listening can decide if it's interesting or funny. So here's just a story that I will share. Um, when I first uh, started the sabbatical, it was early July, I made a post on uh, Instagram about it, kind of saying, hey, I'm taking two months off work. Here's how I was able to do that, right? And I think one of my beliefs is that it is important to tell the behind the scenes story which doesn't mean that you know we can't have privacy i think honesty and privacy can absolutely exist together but i think it's really useful when we're willing to talk about the how, right? Like how did something happen? So, you know, in that that post on Instagram, I was like, I'm taking two months off work. And I think that's the type of thing that would be really easy for someone on the outside to look at that and be like, oh, well must nice for you. Right. Like that's great. And you know, but like I could never do that. Or how did you, you know, how were you able to make that happen? And so for me it was important to talk about, okay, actually how. And the, you know, the practical way that I was able to take two months off work is that You know, I front-loaded my... Earnings, you know, basically in like the first half of the year, the bulk of the money that I'm earning this year was in the first half of the year. And, you know, I did the math of here's the money that is coming in. Here's the money that I think that I'm going to be able to make once I come back to work, you know, in Q4. And here's how much goes to taxes, right? Like I actually sat down and did the math and it came out to be that I would earn after taxes and business expenses about $30,000 this year. And so I said, okay. If I take two months off work and I'm not earning money for those months, right? So essentially, there's going to be no new money coming in during that time. $30,000 divided by 12 months of the year right? It's $2,500 a month. It's like, can I live on $2,500 a month? Right. And so that informed, you know, my choices this year. And obviously, you know, I don't have housing payments or utility payments. I live, you know, full-time in a 20 square foot van basically, and, you know, was willing to make some other sacrifices and, and stuff to, to make that possible. And so I talked about that on Instagram of I'm taking the sabbatical, here's how it was possible. And, you know, I then towards the end of that post almost said jokingly that, I really wanted to start a podcast called But How Though?, Because that's the question, right? You like see something, I keep using Instagram as an example, but you like see someone doing something on Instagram and I'm always like, but how though? How did you afford it? How did you have that hard conversation with your partner? How did you get out of debt? How did you, you know, whatever the thing, I always want to know how. And so I said that jokingly in the episode and people like really responded to that. They were like, oh my God, please start this podcast. That's the question I'm always asking, right? And it made me reflect on what I love most about, Real Talk Radio, and the conversations that have been most fulfilling for me and have tended to do the best, right, in terms of like downloads or listens or people talking about them or whatever, are the conversations that get into that type of stuff, right? Like, okay, you quit drinking, but how? You changed careers, but how, right? You decided whether or not to have kids. Like, what was that conversation actually like? And so I decided... That, what I want to do is refocus the podcast and pivot and do a series called "But how though and so that's what i'm going to be doing for the rest of the year is a series of episodes that go deep into the honest stories and really those like tiny details of how actual people manage to close the gap between what they say they want and what they actually do. so obviously, I've just shared some examples, but like you know how do you get out of debt, change careers, stop comparing yourself to people on the internet how do you have more fulfilling sex, build stronger friendships and relationships and community, decide whether or not to leave your marriage, right? It's not a topic specific thing, but I'm really interested in each episode having a different guest. It's not going to be prescriptive. It's not going to be blueprinty, right? It's not like I'm having someone on to tell you how to do X, Y, or Z, but just that they can be honest about like the emotional and logistical details of how they did that thing. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm unsure if after the end of this year, I'm going to change the name of the show to that. Um, I've, I've learned it's relatively easy to keep the same podcast feed, but essentially just like you change the name and tagline of the show, you upload new art, right? Um, like cover image art. And so it's possible that it won't be Real Talk Radio anymore and it will be called, but how though? But for the next you know couple of months it's basically just going to be like a series that's produced under the umbrella of real talk radio. So from the listeners perspective it's not going to be a ton different the episodes will be shorter. I'm hoping to keep them each under an hour. I have found while I used to have the desire for really long form conversations, both as someone having the conversation and as a consumer of those types of podcasts. I don't know if it's all the things of 2020 or what, but I have been craving shorter things lately. And so I'm just trying to honor that with the work that I'm creating.
1: I can hear in your voice, like just total excitement when you speak about this next evolution with But How Though, and I'm so excited for you. I love just hearing the energy that's behind your words. Thanks. I think that it
0: is absolutely a privilege to be excited about your work, right? I have done plenty of random jobs in the past that I did not like and did not feel excited for and did them, you know, because that's what I had to do to earn enough money to pay rent or whatever. And that is absolutely as valid and respectable. And that was sort of my reflection though, is I'm like, well, if I have my own business and I'm working for myself and I'm taking risks in all these other ways, I it's like, I had to remember why I did it. Like I did this because I want to make things that feel good to make. And if you if i'm not doing that what's the point really and so it feels great to be creatively excited and you know which isn't to say that i wasn't having a good time with the previous iteration of things let me see if i can explain this it's sort of nuanced i have gotten pretty good throughout my life of having a very sensitive and responsive sort of internal thermometer i guess that lets me know when i'm getting close to being done with something and there's a, that that feeling of having going too far passing that point when you're really resentful either in a relationship or in a job or with a project where you're like oh this really should have been over 2 months 6 months a year 6 years ago right like i think we all know that feeling of when you stayed too long and sometimes it's just what you have to do right or sometimes you know there, there's lots of different reasons why why we stay and that's not always a bad choice but I know that feeling and particularly with work and particularly with creative work when you come to resent the work it shows like I have been on the receiving end of like you you just maybe you've read someone's you know blog for a long time and you can just kind of tell that they're done with it, or they don't really want to be doing it. And they're like phoning it in. Like we can feel that, or maybe we don't consciously know it, but we subconsciously feel it. And that was always, you know, when I decided to go into business for myself, kind of my commitment to myself early on was I'm not going to get to that point to the best of my ability. When I feel like it's time to change, I am going to make a change. And I remember in 2015, I had been blogging pretty much weekly for eight years. And, you know, people who have been around that long will remember this. I was reaching that point where I just felt like that blog was done, that style of story sharing was done. And I deleted the entire blog. And like basically overnight, I had been thinking about it for a while, but I was just done with it. And that was like a burn it down change example. And people could not believe it. (laughs) and I still get comments about that sometimes. And it was just, the thing felt complete to me and I was unwilling to continue doing it. It's like I I respect myself and I respect the people who are consuming the work and who are in the community too much to do something that doesn't feel good to do. And so I it's not that I wasn't enjoying what I was, you know, doing with the podcast, let's say 3 months ago, 5 months ago, but I felt, you know, the temperature on that thermometer was rising. I was like I'm I'm, I'm getting close. I'm getting close. And you know, once I was willing on my sabbatical to admit what was actually true, the thing that I knew for sure was that the current iteration of the work felt complete. And that was terrifying. It's like, what does that mean? Well, if it's complete, then what? Do I have to totally do something else? Do I have to retrain in another career, right? It can feel so scary to have that feeling of, this is done, right? It's honestly a very similar feeling to how I felt right before I got divorced. This current iteration of this relationship is complete. And that can feel so freeing and so scary.
1: Yes. With the question of, but how though, How is that question um, show up for how you actually change the funding model? I mean, getting into the nitty-gritty of like how when your livelihood at this point does depend on, you know, the support of your community, how have you changed the funding model? And how have you taken the steps to even figure out how you were going to change it? Because I know a lot of thought went into it.
0: A lot of thought. And and I would say a lot of thought not just over the last two months. You know, I I think about money all of the time and not just on a like personal granular level, but like on a collective level. I'm just like, I'm very interested in not just like the psychology of why we spend what we spend, but like, you know, the dysfunction of capitalism and the like, like in wild wealth inequality, right. And all of that, it's just like things that I think about all the time. And, you know, so I've been self-employed for about 10 years. And I feel like the core question that I've asked myself really at every step along that path is how can I make my work both financially sustainable for me as the creator and financially accessible for others? That's something that has been important to me the entire time that I've done this. And I think that we we often believe that it's an either or, right? Like, and that's you know, of course, like a product of capitalism, like teaching us that we should get the absolute most we can out of everything that we do, and that charging less than we're worth, right? Like, whatever that even means, that that that's a failure, right? That, um, you know, we think it's an either or: either our work is financially accessible, or you know, it's financially sustainable for us. And I don't think that's true. I think that both are absolutely possible. And, and that whole idea, this is really prevalent in the online business space, this idea to, you know, quote, charge what you're worth. And I have always bumped on that because I don't think that our worth is like monetarily determined, right? Like, I, or I guess like, I just don't even know, I, I, I know what it means when people say that of like, you know, don't undersell your skills and, you know, whatever, that type of stuff. Like, I, I know that I think it comes from a good place, but like by me saying, you know, I'm worth you know, X amount per hour, does that mean I'm, I'm worth more as a person than someone who's working minimum wage? Like that, those aren't my beliefs. Right. And so like, if I don't believe that it sort of throws the whole thing into some confusion and then how do we decide what we're going to charge? Right. Cause for better or worse, we do live under capitalism. Right. And I do have to make money. And so if that's true, what is the, like the way to do that, that feels the absolute best. And so that's really informed a lot of my business setup decisions in the past. So, you know, a couple of examples. Um all the guests on the podcast get paid. That wasn't true at the beginning because the funding wasn't there for it, you know, but for the last few years that's been the case. Higher rates are always paid, you know, to our guests of color, LGBTQ guests, right, basically like folks from marginalized communities. The podcast is 100% listener funded, right? So no ads or sponsors. That all kind of aligns with my Monetary beliefs, I guess. Um, I create a popular series of quarterly reflection workbooks that I sell in a pay what you want format. And, you know, there's always free copies available for anyone who can't afford to pay, like no questions asked. And then for higher priced offerings, right? Retreats, uh, well, Womp, womp, no live retreats now due to COVID, but like retreats and mastermind groups, all of those have always come with extended payment plans, like penalty free payment plans, something that always felt strange to me, especially in online business. And maybe this is something, Julia, that you've noticed too that online payment plans are always, almost always more expensive than the one-time payment option, right? So if you're going to sign up for someone's thing and it's, you know, $200 if you pay all at once, you know, if you choose a payment plan option, let's say the whole thing winds up being like $250, right? And sure, there's like a little bit more administrative fees and stuff like that. But I mean, for me, I've done the math. It's like a couple bucks. It's not that much. And so that never really felt right to me. And none of this, I guess I should have said this disclaimer at the top. I'm not telling anybody else what to do with their business, right? Or what feels good for them. I'm just saying for me personally, it didn't feel right to offer things that way because the question I was asking is like, why is it okay to charge someone more because they aren't wealthy enough to pay in full upfront? It just, it doesn't make sense to me. It feels unjust. So any of my payment plans, right? You know, let's say something costs, $500, $500, right? If someone's going to pay in full, cool, they pay $500. If someone's going to pay over 6 months, we just divide 500 by 6 and that's what they pay every month. And that's just always how I've done things. And part of the reason that I have struggled in relating to a lot of like business growth or marketing or business coaching advice is because I f- I didn't feel like I could see examples of what I was doing really being modeled everywhere I felt like well I guess I'm just kind of going against the grain and doing things myself and Right at the start of the summer, I found someone named Bear A Bear, and I can put their um, contact information in the show notes. Uh, but they are a life and business coach, and they have a course called "Freely: An Anti-Capitalist Guide to Pricing Your Work." It's essentially a series of like three webinars that were you know taught live and then and recorded and and sold. And I took that that those classes um, over the summer on my sabbatical, and it was like an aha moment for me, because it made me realize that my values are actually anti-capitalist. And I had never like had that framing before, but everything like that, that they were teaching, everything Bear was teaching in this, in this class, I actually didn't learn a lot because I was already doing a lot of those things. I learned some things for sure, but it was more, you know, that feeling of that, like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Right. When someone says something that makes you feel like, right. Like that's happened to you, I assume. Totally. And it feels so comforting to be like, okay, I'm not the only one, right? And like finding that sort of like community and sense of belonging helped me to put some like language around what I was trying to do. And, you know, Bear gives a lot of different examples of actually how to do that in your your business. And so that got me thinking, you know what? I want to go further in this way, right? Like how can I lean even more into these values? What does it mean to build a more equitable community? What would have to be true for the structure of my business to be even like more closely aligned with my values, right? Like how can I move more towards economic justice? And what I decided to do, um, I'm sticking with Patreon because I love that platform. And the funding model that I have switched to is essentially a sliding scale, right? So there's a bunch of different tiers um, for anyone who's listening who has never used Patreon. Basically, it's a way for, you know, individuals to support creatives directly, you know, financially for their work. And um, those creators can set different tiers, right? You know, X many dollars a month. And usually you get certain bonuses, right? There's like incentives given to join different tiers. And the idea is the more you pay, the more you get and that makes sense right like we're all used to that you pay more you get more but why there's like something that sort of started to like tug at my mind of I don't know, like the financial resources are not and shouldn't be the only determining factor in whether or not someone can access services or products, right? And obviously sliding scales have existed, you know, in plenty of different industries and communities, you know, I think particularly about acupuncture and, you know, different things like that forever, right? Like I'm not saying anything new. There's plenty of people that are, you know, have have tested and, and done these models. But what I decided to do was to make, um, all of the the funding tiers between $5 and $25 per month so there's a $5 tier, a $10 tier, a $15 tier, a $25 tier and a $50 tier. We can I don't know how much detail you want to go into but basically between $5 and $25 everyone receives the same content. So it's a like a purposeful sliding scale that allows each community member to support from within their means. And that felt really really good to me and it also gave me the opportunity to think through how to talk about this publicly. Like I I wound up writing out a really clear breakdown of how to know which tier is right for you, right? Essentially like a sliding scale FAQ that we can talk about if you want. Because in deciding what was next for my business, I had to put everything on the table, like everything on the chopping block, essentially even like being self-employed itself, right? Like everything had to be a possibility to be questioned, right? Because I think it's really easy to say, oh, I just work for myself. That's what I do. Okay. But just because you've been doing it doesn't mean you have to keep doing it. It would have been very fine for me to decide, I don't want to do this anymore. I am going to try to get you know a job and work for somebody else. Like That's a totally fine decision. And so everything was on the chopping block for me. And one of the things I realized that I want to have, continue to have my own business where I have complete control over the way it functions because I want to use the business model itself as a way to like implement my values and as a way to have these sort of conversations. It's almost like Sure, we can like talk about money on the podcast, but we're also talking about money in like the way that the podcast itself is funded. And I think that having your own business is a really awesome opportunity to, you know, pay people fair rates and to do like to just do, to put some of these things, um, you know, into action that I wouldn't necessarily be able to do on my own. Or I mean, that I wouldn't be able to do if I just worked for someone else. I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, you're essentially creating the culture, you're creating your own culture and how you conduct yourself. And furthering
0: these conversations in a very tangible way, right? Like it's, it's all fine to talk about money, like theoretically, when you don't have like any skin in the game or like any risk. Right. And it was just very appealing to me to think, okay, if I want to continue to have my own business, how can I, you know, continue to iterate closer and closer to an anti-capitalist business? What would that look like?
1: Yes. So In the nuts and bolts of right now, how has it been going to change your funding scale? And does it seem like it's going to be something that will be able to sustain you? It's been great. I
0: made the first post about the changes that I was envisioning on, I think it was the 7th of September to Patreon. Something else that's always been really important to me is to make the changes and iterations collaborative, right? Like obviously, this is my business. I'm the one who's making the work. So I don't want to do anything that doesn't feel good to me to do just because other people want me to do it, right? Like that there, I have a boundary there. Um, but I really don't like making unilateral decisions and just kind of that, okay, well, this is what we're doing now. That doesn't feel good to me in the type of community that I want to lead. And so, you know, but the past couple iterations of things have been, you know, I, I, share what I'm thinking of doing. And then I take feedback, right? And um, the end result of what we wound up doing, definitely some changes were made based on people's feedback. So that was awesome. And it's been incredibly satisfying and uplifting to see how many people are like really on board with this business model. And so we're in the process right now of, you know, people have to go in and like change their pledge essentially, right? Because it went from a per episode you know, people were pledging a certain amount per episode and now they are pledging a certain amount per month. So that was also another change of being less transactional. You know, it's not like I do this many episodes, you pay me this much money. It's more, um, the funding model. Now the Patreon community is funding all of my work, right? So I'm, you know, writing a twice weekly um, column on Substack called Good Question. We can talk about that. I just started that, you know, going to be doing the podcast. And most of my work is still freely available, right? So like you can sign up for those like essays and journaling prompts from that column for free. The podcast is free, but they're not free to make, right? And so the people who are paying on Patreon are saying, I value this. I have the ability to be able to pay somewhere on this sliding scale. And the more people who do that, then obviously I'm able to pay the people I work with. I'm able to get paid. And then the work is able to be freely available for as many people as possible. And so there are still some Patreon-only things. Um, I'm starting to host, uh, live end of month journaling workshops, which is awesome doing, you know, live kind of Google hangouts. I do a behind the scenes, like very detailed business and money report. It's like a transparent breakdown of essentially everything that you and I are talking about right now, but on a monthly basis of like, what I'm trying to do to build my business in a way that's both profitable and values driven. So there are things that are just specifically for the Patreon community, but they're now for everyone in the community. And the response has been wonderful. Some people have definitely left the community, of course, you know, anytime you make a change, that's to be expected. And I'm hopeful over time, you know, that the the right fit people who really believe in this model and who you know, want to be in this kind of community, you know, that they'll, that they'll come and join. Um, there's still plenty of people who haven't, changed their pledge yet or haven't taken action. So it's like, it's a slow process, but so far I feel optimistic that I'm going to reach the, as of the time of this recording, I'm a couple hundred dollars um, away, a couple hundred dollars per month away from the funding goal that needs to be reached in order to like fully fund new episodes of the podcast. So, so far I feel optimistic about it.
1: Yeah, I so appreciate how transparent you are just in your process with money both now and you answering but how though and just how you are with your community. I think it's really inspiring. Thank you. I I really appreciate
0: transparency. And like I said, you know, people it's like privacy is totally necessary as well. You know, it's not like I tell everybody everything about my life all the time, but there is something about this kind of transparency, I think it's really easy, especially online to compare ourselves to other people, whether that's work related or personally or whatever. And, you know, to make up kind of like we were talking about the beginning of the conversation, like you make up stories about your neighbors, right. To make up stories about other people, you know, she's able to go on this vacation because X, Y, or Z or the, and like, we don't know. And of course we don't have to tell each other all of that stuff, but I do think that it's, incredibly generous. I always find myself feeling so grateful for other people's generosity when they're able to say, I did X, Y, and Z in order to get to this place. Like it just, it helps to demystify it a little bit. And it helps me to get out of the story of there's something what's wrong with me that I haven't been able to do what they're doing. And, you know, I don't think that's a productive question. You know, what's wrong with me? But that's that's not a kind self-question. But I do think that it's it's really useful to be able to be honest about this kind of stuff. And obviously, you know, I'm going into some detail here in this conversation, but of course, you know, there's a a lot more detail that I went into in, you know, the posts for Patreon and stuff because, you know, there's only so much we can cover.
1: Yeah. Is there anything more about the funding model that you want to give voice to that we haven't explored? Hmm. I mean,
0: I think it's like a sliding scale is interesting, right? Like there's certainly advantages and disadvantages. Like the advantage to me is that it feels like a much more just way of doing things. I think the disadvantages Like for the creator, the main disadvantage of a sliding scale is that people will take advantage of it, right? Which obviously would lead to me not being paid fairly. I don't think that most folks mean to take advantage, but I think that since there's such a taboo about talking about money, that also means that many of us have never unpacked and like talked really openly about our own class and class privilege. And so I think that you know it it, it can be challenging there. And so like then the disadvantage of the sliding scale like for the consumer or the community member, right? Is that it can feel stressful. We hardly ever need to decide for ourselves how much to pay for something, right? Like we're just used to seeing a prep, right? Like the muffin costs this much. I give you the money, you give me the muffin. And I think that- That's what we're used to for the most part. And so, having to evaluate our financial means, our privileges, and to choose our own price can feel really daunting. And so, I was really aware of that in building this system. And it was actually a really fun challenge, an interesting challenge for me to then have to answer the question, like help people answer the question of how do I know where on the sliding scale I belong? And I'm incredibly grateful to folks. um, Particularly, there's someone named Alexis J. Cunningfolk who. like breaks down on their website, like just all of this stuff, like they have, you know, iterated with sliding scale for years. And there was a couple other people who reading their models and like seeing what they've done um, was really helpful. And again, it's like, that's the result of the but how though, right? Like they shared that, like here's how I've been able to make that work. And them sharing that enabled and empowered me to be able to do the same. And so I really appreciated um, having resources to to use. And, you know, it's it's what helped me to decide you know, if you're setting a sliding scale, the way that, uh, for in my mind, the way a sliding scale has to work is like you have to decide what the actual price of the thing is, right? And then people that are paying below that amount are getting a discount based on their means. People that are paying above that amount, it's essentially like a pay it forward option, right? And so for me, I decided for all of the resources and gatherings and community support, right, that I'm going to be offering for at least, you know, definitely the rest of the year, that the $15 per month tier, like that's the actual cost, right? And then it's having to think through, okay, well, who is that cost for? And, you know, it's for folks who can comfortably meet all their basic needs, right? Food, housing, transportation, medical care, and who have you know expendable income to regularly, you know, I don't know. Buy books, buy coffee shop treats. You know, have online streaming subscriptions, that type of stuff, right? And so that felt like that is the appropriate tier for those folks. And then you know, the ten dollar tier, the five dollar tier, it kind of breaks down. You know, the full price. If the full price would be a sacrifice for you, but not a hardship, right? Then that's your tier. If the full price would be a hardship, right? Then the next one down is your tier. And then you know, the the higher priced ones, a twenty five dollar tier, it's essentially like a pay it forward where the extra money that that person is paying helps to supplement the folks, you know, on the lower end of the scale. And so that all felt like in, as I was doing it, it was that feeling of like getting more and more in alignment, right? Where you just like you like it's like the goosebumpy, it feels good in your body, like this feels right to me. And sometimes if I haven't felt that in a while, if I haven't felt that like true hell yes, I forget that I know what it feels like, right? If it's been a long time, I think this is something that's a maybe or a kind of yes. I almost try to convince myself that it's right. Like, well, maybe. But like when you have that like hell yes feeling, you know. And that was such a relief and you know, I I also wound up doing a $50 a month tier because I wanted to be able to send like snail mail treats to people. (laughs) I like miss actual mail. And so obviously there's an upfront cost to that, right? Like you buy the things you're going to mail, you have to pay the postage. So that was more just like an experiment of like, Hey, this is a cool way to offer something different, but that was really important to me. And then it was the last thing that I'll say sort of about the funding model in all of these conversations. I also think that it's really important for it to be shame free, right? This idea, like I said before, like our money does not determine our worth right that like the folks in my community like they're welcome exactly as they are the amount that that someone's able to pay doesn't determine their value or worth nor does it mean anything about my value or the impact of what i offer right the sliding scale just represents really just like the clearest cleanest most just vision that i hold for my work and that you know everyone should feel totally comfortable to you know be wherever they are on that scale and it honestly just feels really good i have no idea what's going to happen over the next couple months i have no idea if this will be long term sustainable but for now it feels like an experiment that was absolutely worth trying and that was really what gave me the i think personal permission to do it is to treat you know the next couple of months as a season of experimentation like just try like just try stuff and see what happens if it doesn't work you can try something else
1: and i think in speaking to you creating you know your own culture as your own boss as the creator of what you do in your community i think as someone who supports your work it's it was a really good experience to actually ask myself like how much can i support this work and where is my you know what is my financial privilege right now it's like in actually participating in your community we're invited to ask ourselves the hard questions about ourselves and that, is, that was actually a really beautiful opportunity for me
0: I appreciate hearing that. I heard something similar from some other folks too. And, you know, someone in particular um, said, I'm going to kind of butcher it, but somebody to the effect of, you know, this helped me to really realize like, oh, I get a lot of value from this. And then I started applying that question to other, you know, other things I'm paying for or, you know, that type of stuff. And I think that type of inquiry and like inquiry... Often is really helpful because something that, you know, we might find a lot of value in at one season of our lives and it's totally worth and joyful to pay for that might change. And okay, then, you know, we redistribute the money, we pay for something else instead, you know, it comes and goes. And like having that ongoing conversation with myself has been really helpful. And I am glad to, and that's sort of what I meant about using the business model itself as a way to generate conversations. And so it is nice to know that that is what happened for you.
1: Totally. So I want to hear also about, I mean, the big shifts for your writing and the launch of Good Question, your blog, and the transition from Notes of Grit and Grace. So let's just dig into all of that. Tell me, when did Notes of Grit and Grace not feel like a fit for you anymore? It's funny
0: because the writing that I'm doing on... My Substack, a blog or newsletter—I don't even know what to call it—but um, uh, it's nicoleantoinette.substack.com. So, people, if anyone wants to go look, but it's—it's um, it's called Good Question. The, the same way that, but how though? Episodes are going to be quite similar to Real Talk Radio. It's. The, the change was for me, right? Like it was enough of a shift for me to feel excited. This is the same. I don't think anyone's gonna read this writing and be like, oh my God. You know, it's not like all of a sudden I became like, you know, a technology blogger, right? Or like a food blogger or something like that. Like the, the heart of it is still the same. It's like honest story sharing, right? And that type of thing. I just needed something that felt sort of like a fresh start. And it actually came up um, through... A series of conversations that I had with a couple of different friends, and then particularly with my friend Kate Flanders. Shout out, hi Kate! And which I said, sort of like a throwaway comment, I said that I really, really had been missing the 2008 to 2012 era of blogging. Anyone who had a blog during that time or read blogs during that time probably knows what I mean. But it was just, and obviously this is an oversimplification, but it was felt like a really like lovely place on the internet. You know, plenty of people had personal blogs. There were Really good generative conversations happening in the comment section. I wound up making a lot of really good friends in the comment section of either my blog or other blogs, something that on the whole I think doesn't really happen as much anymore. And I was just missing that like a place to tell stories that wasn't in itself monetized, that wasn't trying to sell anything, that wasn't trying to be part of a brand that like. Not trying to make myself seem like an expert so I can only write on like one niche topic. Like I just wanted that return to like the basics of the type of story sharing that I loved before. And it's not that I couldn't have kept doing that. You mentioned the Notes of Grit and Grace, that's a, an email series that I did in different iterations for many, many years. It's not that I couldn't have kept doing that. It just felt complete. Something like I wanted a different name, I wanted a different platform. And some I think sometimes. It's like the back to school feeling, right? Like, I'm 35 years old. I haven't been in school in a really long time. And still, the calendar turns over to September 1st. And I have this little, like, I want to go buy nice pens back to school, fresh start feeling. And, like, whether that's arbitrary or not, I think there's something really invigorating about that feeling. And even if we have to manufacture it for ourselves, like, if you can give yourself the feeling of a fresh start, sometimes that is all that you need. And that's really what it was for me. I wanted a place that felt like old school blogging again. And to be able to have conversations with people in the comment section, but more importantly for people to be able to have conversations with themselves, because what I was doing before with Notes of Grit and Grace, it was just going into people's email inboxes. It wasn't living anywhere on like, you know, publicly on the internet. And so people could respond to me, but they couldn't talk to each other. And it's been really nice even in the comments to see like a couple of people do that, talk to each other. It's again, just that feeling of like, oh, right. I'm not alone. Someone else also thinks this.
1: Yeah, it's been amazing um, reading through your blog posts today, just seeing like how many comments you've gotten and how much connection. Are a lot of the people that you're in dialogue with, are these new new folks to you, um, long-time fans of your work?
0: I think predominantly longer-time people, whether from Instagram or from the Patreon community. Mostly because I haven't really promoted it at all, right? Like, I I I think I shared it on Instagram once or twice, like in my stories, and then I you know I post a link to it within the uh, Patreon community. But that was another thing. I'm not looking for like explosive growth of this thing because you know at, at least like right now, like it's not monetized. Like part of my desire to do Patreon the way that I'm doing it is because like the time and energy and ability and editing and stuff like to do this type of writing that is being paid for by my Patreon community, right? So um, I think it's it's mostly longer term people because I haven't done anything to make that not the case.
1: Yeah. And tell me the inspiration behind the Name of it. Good question.
0: Oh, something that people might not know about me. I actually really hate naming things. It's my least favorite part of having my own business, having to like name events or products or retreats or things. Some people love it and I just like don't. It is, it's not something that I enjoy. Maybe because I am not a like a brief person, I tend to be quite wordy. So I have a hard time coming up with like the exact thing. Um, But I knew I wanted it to be something around an idea of questioning. I mean, even, but how though, right? Like that is a question. And I think it has become clear to me over the years that the heart of my work is creating resources and gatherings for folks who crave honest conversations, right? Like honest conversations with each other, honest conversations with ourselves. And the foundation of most honest conversations is good questions, right? And I think that whether that's as an interviewer, whether that's, you know, when I create the quarterly reflection workbooks, essentially just like a series of questions. I think that I am a good question asker. think that I am able to ask myself like interesting and like supportive and like gen- idea generative questions. And so there was something around that. And so I played around with a, a couple of different ideas and I just kept coming back to this title of good question, because I feel like that's a thing you know, I say, oh, like, oh, that's a good question. Just something that I say a lot or something that people have said that to me a lot being interviewed on the podcast. Um, like, oh, that's a really good question. And, uh, I don't know. So it just, it felt, it felt like a good way to introduce what the space is, which is a place to like ask and answer questions, but not have like the capital A answer. And it also, um, I knew that what I wanted to do was to want about once a week, write like a longer form, kind of personal essay story sharing. And then once a week to do a shorter post, which is like being able to share links to things, you know, that uh, I I do a lot of like reading and listening and research and stuff like around the internet. And I used to do a thing for the Patreon community called like a monthly link love where I would share, you know, link roundups and stuff. And so being able to do that um, once a week and also to be able to share journaling prompts. So that kind of the idea of sharing specific journaling prompts each week also feels like let's share good questions with each other.
1: I love it. One of the journaling prompts you shared this past week was, we practice hope by caring for ourselves. What's one way you can do that in your real life this week? And I thought that would be a really um, just beautiful place to start to wrap up our conversation of what is practicing hope for you look like for you in this next evolution?
0: Yeah, I think... I'm not alone in saying that um, 2020 in particular, there have been times of feeling a lot of hopelessness and feeling a lot of despair. And the, that post that you're referencing um, I was talking about a, a quote by Mariam Kaba, um, the prison abolitionist and organizer who is quoted as saying that hope is a discipline, right? Like not a feeling, mm-hmm. not this thing that sort of like comes and goes, like it's a discipline, right? It's something that we like work for and cultivate. And I really like that idea of, you know, hopeful, optimistic things don't have to be happening in order for me to like cultivate that, right? It's like the other way around, like the hope comes from doing the work and like investing in the future that we want. And I think that that's for ourselves. I think that's collectively um, really all across the board that, you know, if we are going to in our real lives, like sow the seeds for the life that we want and the relationships that we want and the love that we want and the world that we want and the justice that we want, like that to me is hopeful. Like doing the work regardless of the outcome is hopeful. And I feel like at the heart of it, like I obviously talk a lot about change, right? Like we talked about it in this conversation, I've, I've talked about it a ton. And this idea that like, not only that we can give ourselves and each other permission to change, but that we can change. Like the idea that change is possible, not in an abstract way, but that it's possible for me, that it's possible for you, that it is actually possible to change, to do things differently, to act differently, to be differently, right? The idea that we're not defined by, you know, the worst things we've ever done, the biggest mistakes that we've ever made, the things that we feel ashamed of, those things don't define our identity. They don't have to set the tone for the rest of our lives. Like we can change. That to me, is hopeful. And when I when I forget that change is possible is when I start to feel hopeless and really need to reconnect with the fact that like those are my core values and beliefs and you know obviously we've been talking, you know, about personal changes that I'm making, you know, like in my business and stuff, but all of that is really connected into this larger idea of you know, what do we want to see in the world and it is our responsibility to create it to the best of our ability.
1: Amen to that. I wish I could just take that whole little statement you said and just take a sound bite to listen to when I need to get inspired. (laughs) I really do feel like there's a lot of wisdom in that and that you're speaking to giving yourself the permission to change is in itself a really radical, hopeful act. Mm -hmm. And that you are embodying that fully as you make this next transition with your business and the work you do. And it's really, really powerful to witness. And it's really inspiring for me in the work that I do. And I know it inspires others.
0: I appreciate that. And I appreciate your thoughtful, good questions. And, you know, for years, it's it's interesting. Um, I think you and I have a really unique relationship in that we are friends and we are also creative collaborators, right? Like we do this monthly series every month, um, you know, for the Patreon community. And we've done, you know, other podcast collaborations and stuff together. And I think so much of our friendship has been built on asking each other good questions, like in public, right? Which is like a funny thing. And so I'm grateful that you know, you were able to help me hopefully make sense of this for other people. I feel like I just like said a lot of words and hopefully folks listening can can make sense of it. Um, But I I really appreciate that.
1: Is there any question I haven't asked you yet that you'd want to discuss or explore? I don't think so.
0: I mean, I think that I'll say that I am super open to Hearing from folks, like, if there's something that came up in this conversation that you would like to hear more about, either from me specifically or, you know, on an upcoming episode, like, to dig deeper into, like, please reach out. I know I said before that it's a collaborative process. And I I feel like I hear that all the time. People say, like, reach out or, you know, email me or DM me. And I I always am kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I don't do it. So I don't know how to say like more sincerely like this is like I am making these things for me and for you and so if there is something that you want to reach out about please please do so. And yeah, I'm just, I'm excited. Like I said, a season of experimentation coming up. You know, there's a bunch of fun things that I'm going to be trying. My thought with the Patreon community is I'm going to try a bunch of new things over the next couple of months. And then towards the end of the year, kind of we'll vote collectively on what we're going to keep, right? So I mentioned live end of month journaling workshops. I'm also going to do something called a surprise workshop where folks will know, you know, it's at such and such date at such and such a time. Here's the Zoom link. Just show up, and then they have no idea what the workshop's going to be about or who the guest teacher is going to be. Um, I found that I've been missing spontaneity in this specifically time of COVID. Um, you know, I'm not like having chance encounters with people out in the world. So I'm not really going out in the world, and so that's something we're going to try. I would really like to do, and I don't know if this will, will work out or not, but to allow um, towards the holidays. People in the community to sort of self sign up for a holiday pen pal if you want to like send a holiday card to like someone else in another part of the country or in the world within the community. I just, I don't know, I have like lots of neat ideas. And I kept getting stuck in, well, I have to figure out exactly what I'm going to do and then I have to commit to it. And I have to do that exact same thing every single month. And The truth is that we don't like you can just try stuff and see what people like and see how it goes. And so I I feel a real lightness around the work that I'm doing right now. And I am so grateful for that.
1: Yay. I can hear that lightness in your voice and so, so many good surprises and planned things to come. Yes. Will you, before we wrap up, um, tell people
0: where they can find you if they want to either get in touch or learn more about your work?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I um my podcast running on ohm is on all the podcast platforms. Um and if you wanted to connect with me, you can connect with me through the running on ohm Instagram or running on at gmail.com. Email me and I'd love to connect.
0: The power of a consistent brand running on ohm everywhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: you know. Oh, I love it. Julia, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Nicole. And I am honored to be a part of your community and to get to witness this next step.
0: And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening, for being here, for being part of the community, and for believing in honest conversations. Huge thanks to Adam Day, who not only created the music for this show, but who has done all of the sound editing for all 200 plus episodes that we have had. He is such a joy to work with, and I'm really grateful to have him on the team. Obviously, there's a lot of changes that are coming, as you just heard in this episode. I am hoping that the first episode of the new series will be live towards the end of October. That is my goal. And so I will be hard at work on that behind the scenes. And as soon as it's ready, I will share it with you. In the meantime, if you want to come check out our Patreon community, we would love to have you. It's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. See you there.